0: I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here with Dr. Florence, by him, Weinberg. And each and every week, each and every week, you can catch us here. And if you have missed anything, don't worry. You can binge listen to us on any number of outlets. Uh, without further ado, Doc, how are you? Uh, I'm actually doing quite well. Thank you. You feel good. And, uh, you know, I know you You, you had a couple of uh, instances where uh, where you weren't quite sure uh medically what was going on but it seems like everything turned out nicely
1: yes <laughs> Yes, yeah, seems
0: straight now so uh so i'm feeling good today and all ready to go well we were we were talking a little bit off mike uh about an, an issue that is that is as old as the hills uh older than the trees older than whatever and that's anti-semitism <laughs> And, uh, and you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. You're someone who married uh, a proud Jewish man who's a Holocaust survivor and, uh, and, and you've, been, you've been wearing his name, his last name and your last name uh, for, uh, for many, many years now. Uh, so I think you you'd give a pretty good perspective on anti-Semitism.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, uh, I've seen it up close and personal, that's for sure. Uh, and my husband was, uh, uh, was a war hero. Uh, my dad, too. Uh, my dad actually gave his life for his country, and uh, it took him 10 years to die of his, uh, of his war injuries, but it was ultimately uh, a death caused by World War II and by hitler and uh, so uh when i heard uh rachel maddow speaking about anti-se- anti-semitism and the terrible rise in anti-semitism over the past few years uh the prominence of the neo-nazi party along with uh, uh the proud boys and all the rest uh, uh, of those right-wing people uh it uh, inspired me to uh give a little talk of my own about anti-Semitism. And so that's what I'm going to do today. And I'm going to be again talking about some of my own, first of all, about uh, the reasons for prejudice in the first place and uh, and some of my own experience before I go into the generalities about it. Uh, So here we go. All right. Human behavior toward individuals and groups that don't fit in with a dominant social crowd closely resembles the behavior of members of the animal kingdom. In a herd of wild horses, if the entire group is dark brown with white blazes on their noses and a white horse is introduced into the herd, likely as not, the new different horse will be attacked and driven away, sometimes killed. The same behavior is seen in non-mammals. A flock of Rhode Island red hens will peck a white leghorn chicken to death unless it can escape in time. I've seen it happen. Biologists theorize that the behavior is instinctive, meant to keep diseases and undesirable traits from infecting the group. Our closest cousin in the animal kingdom is the chimpanzee. Primates descended from the same ancestral tree as we humans. Chimps wage wars. They organize in groups and attack each other. They battle to the death until all uh, hostiles are eliminated. They also reject and isolate ailing, defective, or new and different members. And here's an experience of my own at the age of 12. My father, a wounded veteran of World War II, had bought property in the Ozarks in northern Arkansas before the war, and he decided to move the family there when he took medical retirement from the army. I was two years ahead of my grade in school and entered a local consolidated school as a ninth grader, two years younger than my peers who were 14. On the first day of school I boarded the bus uh, from the stop on the country road near our farm I sat next to a girl who rose and found another seat oh. Though the bus yeah though the bus soon filled up I remained alone my New Mexico accent was different from their Arkansas speech so I was laughed at as were my school clothes that I had worn the previous year in California I was the only unmolested I was only unmolested in class because the teachers forced the issue a few weeks into the semester, I realized that the popular girls were members of the basketball team that was winning matches against women's teams in the high schools of other nearby towns. I went out for basketball, and since I'm tall and athletic, proved that I could hit the basket from almost anywhere on the court. I was accepted as a team member and suddenly had plenty of friends, end quotes. But it took my adoption of at least some of the attributes of the herd in order to be accepted. Mm. Right now in this country and across the world, anti semitism is rising. Where does this come from? I'll furnish a brief history of this hatred, which may be, as you just said, Frank, which may be the oldest and most virulent racial prejudice in the Western world. The Roman Empire, the most successful imperialistic party the Western world has ever seen, and not party, but power, imperialistic power the Western world has ever seen, spread over most of Europe, the British Isles, and the countries surrounding the Mediterranean. Palestine was captured and held as a tributary state, as the Gospels make clear. The Jews led a revolt and occupied Jerusalem in 66 AD, expelling the Romans, and they initiated the First Roman-Jewish War. In 70 AD, the Romans reclaimed Jerusalem and destroyed the Second Temple of Solomon, along with most of the city. The Diaspora began. Jews migrated to other lands, only to be met with unceasing hostility persecution became frequent and violent during the crusades since the Jews appeared to be a fifth column in the very heart of Christendom they were forced uh, to live in restricted areas called ghettos Mm. could not buy land even the ghetto belonged to Christian landlords they could leave the ghetto only during the day but had to return at night as the bells of the Ave Maria chimed While Jews mingled with with the Christian populace, they were forced to wear the yellow circle, the medieval equivalent of the Gelbistern, the yellow star of the Nazis. The medieval Jewish populations were subject to expulsion at any moment and were frequently simply rounded up and driven out of the city, out of one city after another German city. One of the very early solutions to halt the bubonic plague, was to burn the Jews to ashes in their synagogue on the Sabbath day, which for the Jews was Saturday, is Saturday. They were thought to have caused the plague by poisoning the water wells. The solution to the Jewish immigration and the swelling population problem was simply to exterminate them, A Jew had uh, no right to teach a Christian. A Jewish doctor could not heal a a Christian patient. A Jew could not exercise any profession except peddling, banking, goldsmithing, and dealing in precious stones. They all thus gained the reputation of being usurers, cheats, or thieves. They could be printers, but were suspected of poisoning the minds of their readers. They were also believed to be devils, disguising their hooves, horns, and tails with their odd costumes. When whole populations were driven out of the cities, hordes of Jews wandered the roads, moving eastward into what is now Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Russia. And they settled in ghettos there, which persisted through World War I and into World War II. The Jews have called themselves a stiff-necked people, and in their religious customs, language, and mannerisms, they have retained their identity to the present day. So uh, that is my, my own preamble, very yeah. lengthy preamble, to the history of anti-Semitism.
0: I, I think a lot of—if I could just interrupt for a second. I think a lot of sure, people— of Probably were taken aback when you said that the uh, you know the they were forced to uh, identify themselves because many people would uh, would think that the Nazis invented that. Uh, This has been going on long before for the Nazis.
1: Yeah, yes, the Nazis obviously imitated and propagated uh, the ancient um, medieval. Uh, uh, myths about the Jews, the Jews being actually devils, uh, because it would take a devil, it would take Satan to overcome God, because they had overcome Jesus Christ and crucified him, therefore they had to have the power of Satan,
0: Wow. Right.
1: and therefore every Jew was a devil. Uh, and as i said they only hid their uh their horns uh and their tails uh and their hooves <laughs> with their costumes yeah. um and so it was uh it was a simple matter to kill a jew they were not really human they were devils yeah well uh, the history of the uh, of anti-semitism in america has of course uh is as long as the country is as immigrants came here from Europe because they carried the same myths and hatreds with them. Uh, of course, the, um, uh, the our founding fathers uh, imagined the country free from religious persecution, and they tried to guarantee it uh, through the Bill of Rights, through uh, religious freedom. Uh, which was approved in 1791. But states' rights was always uh, a rival to the federal uh, government of this country and is still a problem. Uh, And it would trump uh, this vision, the vision uh, uh, of the Bill of Rights, uh, as uh, limitations were imposed against religious minorities, including Jews, of course. Uh, And uh, in New York, for instance, um, the first uh, governor, New York's first uh, governor was Peter Stuyvesant, who was uh, Dutch, uh, and he uh, petitioned to have the Jews removed, uh, but their financial benefits, the financial benefits of their mercantile networks uh, prevailed, uh, and so... They were ultimately tolerated, and their synagogues, which were ruled as illegal in New York City and in New York in general, uh, uh, went uh, tolerated, waked at. Uh, and so the Jews increased and multiplied and prospered. But uh, they continued to live as uh, outsiders. Uh, and they became the target of uh, racial persecution that persists, persists to this very day. Uh, for instance, during the Civil War com- uh, conflict between the, uh, the two sides, both sides <laughs> blamed the Jews for helping the opposite side, <laughs> as well as selling military supplies at inflated prices to make a profit. Uh, so so that was current during the Civil War. It has not ceased. And despite, um, it, uh, well, two million Jews entered the country between 1881 and, and 1914, because in Europe, pogroms and other persecutions were increasing, property was being seized, and Jews were being killed. Uh, They were still being uh, uh, resented for their mannerisms, their customs, their way of life, and, of course, their religion. Uh, And during uh, economic downturns, uh, conspiracy theories surfaced in the past. Uh, of financial markets and government exploitation by Jews. And they were believed to be corrupt international financiers. So nothing is new on the face of this earth. It continues. Uh, In, I think it was 1913, there was a trial of a young man named Leo Frank. He was a 29-year-old Jewish factory supervisor, and he was accused of murdering a young female co-worker in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, He was uh, acquitted of the crime, but a mob broke into the jail, dragged him out, and uh, lynched him. Uh, So lynching for Jews was also something uh, that was not unheard of. Between the wars, and and of course I was born between the wars, I was born in 1933, and so I witnessed uh, some of this, Um, uh, the uh, Jewish students were restricted from attending institutions of higher learning, uh, despite their qualifications, which were usually excellent, and they were also excluded, and I remember this, from neighborhoods and living in certain hotels and clubs, and Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, Cornell, and so on, the Ivy League, uh, have limited the number of Jews allowed in order to keep uh, anti-Semitism down among the student body. Huh. H- Henry Ford, uh, who is one of our, our heroes uh, in our industrial development in the past, As, uh, of course, uh, one of the uh, major uh, brands of automobile that we still drive is the Ford, uh, was known far and wide for his anti-Semitism, and he published a newspaper in the 1920s in Dearborn, Michigan, called The Dearborn, that was riddled with anti-Semitic propaganda. He believed Jewish people were seeking to control the world by commerce. And he preached Hitler's, uh, Hitler's accusations against the Jews in Mein Kampf. And then there was Charles Lindbergh, our hero, the first one to fly across uh, the Atlantic solo. Uh, he, too, preached anti-Semitism. Uh, so some of our most prominent citizens. Um, and then, and as the 1930s wore on, uh, and I it, it was a growing child, Uh, Neo-Nazis were allowed to speak hatred over radio airwaves. And uh, during uh, Hitler's reign, uh, America maintained highly restrictive immigration laws and turned away hundreds of immigrants every day. And in 1939, for example, the USS St. Louis was turned away from a Miami port ultimately returning the 900 passengers to Nazi Germany where one third of them were slaughtered in concentration camps. My husband's mother managed to get into the United States in that period before the United States went to war. She had a visitor's visa. The visitor's visa ran out. She was notified by immigration and naturalization that she would be deported back to her country of origin. She tried to get into Canada. Canada at that time was interning in concentration camps. Any enemy alien and the Jews coming from Germany were counted as enemy aliens. She was refused entry into Canada. She applied to get into Mexico. I don't know the reasons why Mexico excluded her but they did. Just before the uh, immigration people came to seize her and drag her to the nearest ship, she swam out in the Hudson River and committed suicide. I have the document of the Port Authority uh, which describes finding her body. So when my husband managed to get here after himself having been in a concentration camp, uh, and uh, escaping and finding his way, uh, he received a little casket with the ashes of his mother uh, from the Quakers who had rescued him. And so, uh, the, so it went with the rest of his family. They were all uh, exterminated by the Nazis. So it, it struck very close to me. Wow. In the 1940s, approximately uh, 550,000 American Jews fought in in World War II, and so did my husband. He, since he knew all the languages of Western Europe, uh, was used by uh, Camp Ritchie to give lectures for one thing, and then uh, he became an interrogator of prisoners of war because he could speak their native language to everybody. Uh, He never had to lay a hand on anyone because he could outwit them all. Um, But he uh, fought and was wounded uh, in the Italian campaign. He survived. And so I was able to marry him (laughs) and enjoy uh, a lovely marriage with that man. So the trend then... Uh, the trend, after the war, it became obvious that the Jews had, uh, had contributed their, their very lives, uh, laid their lives on the line for the United States, willing to die for their country. Uh, and so uh, when, when the uh, uh, concentration camps were discovered, the horror at the Nazi anti-Semitism and what it had, uh, uh, had committed – uh, was so great uh, anti-Semitism dropped uh, to uh, from 64% of our population to 16% in 1951 there was a poll taken and uh, it, uh, Judaism was considered a prominent religion in public discourse now, the trend continued through the 1970s as uh, restrictions loosened and anti-Semitism faded from view. But today, complex social change, I think, including uh, concern about globalization, economic inequality, the COVID-19 pandemic, And the changing demographics as Hispanics rush into this country, as they're doing right now as I speak, by the thousands, uh, all this has inspired a resurgence of scapegoating. And for some... Uh, cons- uh like the prominent people surrounding uh former president donald trump uh the jewish community has once again become globalists responding, uh responsible for compl- complex social change uh and of course tr- uh trump uh, it- Uh, adopted the slogan America first uh, which was a factor in my own life when I had an American firster as my fifth grade teacher who who picked me out uh, as as a the daughter of an American uh, uh, army officer to persecute in the class she had a paddle made out of uh, one-by-four uh, uh, that was formed into the shape of a paddle. It was about, I'd say, 20 inches long with a handle and with holes bored in the blade of the thing. And she would whip the children, those those children who... Had military fathers, uh, she would whip them, uh, insult them, belittle them uh, in front of the class, and of course, I was part of part of her uh, victims, her very unhappy <laughs> victims. So I know about America first from uh, from firsthand <laughs> experience. So now uh, we have the hate groups like the Ku Klux Klan and QAnon and the Proud Boys and so on, while Pres- former President Trump and then-President Trump stood mute and even uh, even encouraged them, um, telling them to stand back, but to stand ready, in, in essence. Uh, and they certainly showed that they were ready uh, when he told them to go and attack the uh the capital, uh, to stop the steal. Uh, and, of course, they believed his propaganda. And speaking of the Nazis, then uh, Goebbels understood that if you repeat something often enough, people will believe it. Uh, and the Nazi uh, populace certainly did, and Trump does the same thing. He repeats, 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 repeats uh, uh, that his uh, uh, that the election was stolen from him, that he actually won in the landslide, and so on. And people still believe it, despite the fact that he has lost every lawsuit uh he's even preaching it right now from uh uh from town so-called town hall meetings on CNN for instance uh and so we have brought the history of uh, uh semitism in the United States up to date but one factor do we still have time frank
0: mm-hmm. yes we uh, uh we uh, we do have time
1: Okay, I want to talk about the role of the protocols of the elders of Zion yep. uh, it, in all of this because it it's, has has played and is playing an enormous role uh, in building anti-Semitism. Uh, it was probably the product of uh, of a couple of precursors. Uh, in 1864, it's a, it's a modern work. It's not the ancient document that it's supposed to be. It's a brand new, <laughs> in terms of, of the world history, it's a brand new document. Uh, there was, first of all, a political satire by Maurice Jolie, who writes a, a book called The Dialogue in Hell between Machiavelli and Montesquieu. Uh, and uh, he never mentions the Jews, but much of the protocols are based upon that dialogue. And then another one, another book published uh, in 1868 by Hermann Goethe, uh a novel called uh, Biarritz, also has... Um, the the twelve tribes of Israel meeting secretly in Prague's Jewish cemetery uh, to map out a, a program of world conquest. Uh, so, uh, in nineteen, um, uh, let's see here. Yes, uh, in 19, 1897, to eight around eighteen ninety seven to eighteen ninety nine. Uh, the protocols was uh, was written and it is attributed to someone named Pyotr rakovsky who was the chief of the for- foreign branch of the russian secret police in paris and the uh, 1920 was the year when everything popped in uh, the history of the protocols the book was published Uh, The first non-Russian language edition was published in Germany. It was published in Poland, France, England, and the United States. Uh, And uh, all these editions blame the Russian Revolution. Uh, of 1915 on Jewish conspirators, and it warns about the spread of Bolshevism to the West, which was a major bugaboo, which caused uh, the execution of the Rosenbergs, for instance, and Sacco and Vanzetti uh, early in the 20th century. Um, Now, Lucian Wolf, also in 1920, who was a British journalist, Exposed the protocols as a fraudulent plagiarism. Uh, and, um, I, and so it was known immediately that this was a forgery. However, uh, Henry Ford, in his Dearborn Independent, uh, published uh, the International Jew, which was an Americanized version of the protocols. Uh, and... Th- The international Jew was immediately translated into a dozen languages and spread far and wide. In the next year, in 1921, uh, Philip Graves, who was a journalist, exposed the Protocols once again as a plagiarism in a series of articles in the London Times. And the New York Herald reporter uh, Herman Bernstein uh, published a history of a lie. The Protocols of the Wise Men of Zion, uh, which was for the American audience. However, uh, in 1923, uh, Alfred Rosenberg, who himself was Jewish from the name, uh, he was a Nazi, and he wrote uh, that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was probably a, a, a fake, but he thought it useful. Uh, as did Joseph Goebbels uh, a little later on, who said exactly the same thing. He said, I believe in the intrinsic, but not the factual truth of the protocols. So uh, various people were desperately trying to stop it, but uh, it was too well done and too persuasive. Uh, And of course, Hitler Hitler wrote uh, in Mein Kampf. He, uh, He says, I'm quoting here, To what an extent the whole existence of the people is based on a continuous lie is shown by the protocols of the wise men of Zion, so infinitely hated by the Jews. For once this book has become the common property of the people, the Jewish menace may be considered as broken. Of course, Hitler did his best to see that that was true by slaughtering them en masse, trying to commit genocide. Henry Ford later issued a public apology for publishing the Protocols, which he admitted were gross forgeries, but that did not stop uh, the Protocols from being regularly published and regularly disseminated. Uh, Of course, the Nazi Party uh, published 23 editions of the Protocols before World War II began. Uh, and in um, in 1938, here is the shame on the Catholic Church for tolerating this. In 1938, the United States radio priest, Father Charles Coughlin, serialized the protocols in his new social justice. And, of course, he broadcast those articles of his over the radio. So millions of people heard, heard Father Coughlin. Uh, accuse the Jews of all those ancient, medieval, and pre-medieval uh, slanders and blasphemies. So, uh, so here we are. Uh, the uh, the protocols are now uh, available everywhere. The protocols are believed. Um, the uh, An edition published in 2005 in Mexico City suggests that the Holocaust was orchestrated by the elders of Zion in in exchange for the founding of the state of Israel. And another edition, which was authorized by the Syrian Ministry of Information, claims that the elders of Zion coordinated in the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks on the United States. Uh, and uh, so there are. Uh, if if you look up protocols on the internet, you will find several hundred thousand sites. Uh, so the protocols of the Elders of Zion is a major factor in the rise of anti-Semitism, and it is doing its job. Wow! Now, wow! Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, if if I still have a moment, I, I want to quote uh Jonathan Greenblatt, who is who is the CEO and National Director of the Anti-Defamation League. Uh and Jonathan uh Jonathan says uh that uh anti and as of course this is what I've just been talking about, is a clear and present danger right here, right now in America uh And not only was it it was nineteen uh, it was two thousand twenty two the highest year that we have ever seen um and uh, the uh, the anti defamation league has been tracking this for forty five years uh it was the highest year um uh, that uh, we broke a new record it was the third year in fact that We broke a new record uh, uh, of the number of incidents, which has climbed 500% over the past decade. He thinks that uh, behind this increase is uh, um, that anti-Semitism has been normalized and almost weaponized in the political conversation and in public debates. And it's just common, you know, common uh, course uh, to use anti-Semitic tropes about the Great Replacement theory. How many times have we just seen that that phrase dropped in conversation, in normal conversation? And who who is it who controls Congress? Well, of course, it's the Jews. Who controls Wall Street? Guess who? Uh, who's responsible for COVID? It was the Jews, of course, and on and on. So in a world in which conspiracy theories are uh, the coin of the realm, anti-Semitism, which is the oldest conspiracy theory, has come back to life with a vengeance. It's probably number one in conspiracy theories at the moment. Uh, And uh, the extremists uh, these days are emboldened by the fact that the former president of the United States felt free and still does, as he proved the night before last. Um, He felt free to use the kind of language we wouldn't want our children to use. Or to be honest, when we see hardened anti-Zionist activists on college campuses intimidating and persecuting, their Jewish uh, classmates, and in uh, in K twelve schools, uh, there's, there's a forty percent uh, increase on college campuses, and there is a fifty percent increase in such incidents of persecution of Jewish kids uh, in K twelve schools in this country. So, so it is something we need to know and know about and try to stop if we don't believe it ourselves. So uh, the criticism of the present state of Israel is contributing to this also, Greenblatt says. Uh, He says it's fine to criticize the state of Israel. It's fine to criticize the United States. After all, these are supposedly anyway, in the case of Israel, these are democracies, uh, and they need to be corrected when they're going on the wrong path. Uh, However, the Jewish state is now being accused of of genocide against Palestinians. Uh, I'm not sure that isn't true, actually, among some uh, powers, uh, such as Netanyahu, for instance. Uh, In Israel at the moment, I do not think it's a state policy. Uh, And uh, somehow, uh, and this is the most ironic thing of all, uh, that the Jewish state, Israel, is white supremacist <laughs> get that uh, and of course the jews have always been excluded because they were non-white <laughs> they were the North target they're the
0: target of white supremacist
1: <laughs> yes exactly but now israel is white supremacist <laughs> crazy uh, so uh, we have to be able to distinguish between legitimate criticism and de- uh, and delegitimizing. Oops, my tongue is twisting, and delegitimizing a country. Uh, so uh, and so, uh, Jonathan Greenblatt uh, concludes it saying uh, that. And we need a whole uh, of society strategy to deal with this and deal with this uh, prejudice, this uh, rise in the ancient, most ancient prejudice. And he says that, and I agree with him wholly, that Facebook and Twitter. And TikTok uh, and Instagram and all of those have proven again and again that they're incapable of regulating themselves, which means we need some means to regulate them and force them to abide by decency, just as we would expect it from any other media company. And so, Jonathan Greenblack, uh, my uh, report on what he has to say concludes and so does my own talk on anti-semitism
0: Yeah, amazing i mean just uh amazing and by the way that was a uh in essence uh, that was a very thorough um 40 minute take on anti-semitism but it really is the reader's digest version you can go deep you know you can do a deep dive you know, uh, you know, we kept out some prominent names. For example, Shakespeare, with um, uh, with Shylock. Uh, that's the first one that comes up to mind. Shylock in uh, the Merchant of Venice. Uh, if right. that wasn't the most stereotypical um, uh, Jew in, in the history of literature, I don't know what what wasn't. And absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah, that was the that was the standard portrayal of
1: of the Jew. Uh Shakespeare nailed it.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. No doubt about it. And uh, you know, also look, our uh one of our heroes of uh, of the twentieth century and uh and and still iconic today, uh, uh John F. Kennedy and his brother Robert were raised by um by Joseph Patrick Kennedy, who um ulti- ultimately went on to lose his namesake and his oldest son is Pride and Joy. The one he thought would be president uh joe kennedy to to a war that was because of adolf hitler and and he's a man who believed um believed that that europe would be better off with hitler in charge in fact fdr got him out of there he was the king of uh it was the uh i'm sorry the um uh, the ambassador to the court of saint james which is basically great britain um uh, ambassador and he uh said some things off the record he thought was off the record to a reporter about uh sounding pro-hitler and fdr got joseph kennedy out of there and in essence ended his political career and um you know obviously we don't we don't paint the kennedys with the the same brush that we would paint joseph patrick kennedy but joseph pa- patrick kennedy uh um, was sympathetic to, to Hitler. So, I mean, we... Um, I, I don't know if you have a comment on that, but uh, he was he was removed because of it.
1: Uh, you're right. Well, you know, I mean, even FDR was accused of being a Jew. During yeah, right. <laughs> Before World War Two and even during. Uh, and even after, after his death, he's, he uh, was still accused of being a Jew, although he was probably the, uh, uh, the epitome of... Uh, uh, of Dutch whiteness <laughs>
0: in his you, ancestry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you, you couldn't get any more. <laughs>
1: right. Uh, so I mean, it crops up everywhere, and uh, and it is virulent, and it is growing, and it is the most dangerous thing uh, because it sets uh, it sets people against each other, and uh, the Jews were were heroic during World War Two. And there was there's no question about it. And it, uh, it raises my fury uh, when I hear Trump, for instance, or anyone else spouting anti Semitic uh, uh, tropes uh, uh, because. It is also unnecessary. Uh, he is crying chaos. If we reelect that man, we are doomed because he will manage to tear this country shred from shred. Um, and because of his own ideals, if you can call them that, which seem to be bubbling up from below as far as I'm concerned. You
0: know, Charlottesville... Um, was uh you know was a, a disgraceful uh moment in our our most recent history and yes. uh and there were white supremacists marching and and st- when when asked uh you know uh, president trump you know uh, what he thought of uh of charlottesville and he said there are good people on both sides he refused what? to he he refused to criticize the white supremacists and to me it just uh it, it was it was the most ridiculous obvious thing that you could you know to criticize nazis um -hmm. you know i don't don't know who you're offending other than other nazis um i don't know who would have uh, come to the defense even from a political standpoint who would come to the to the defense of 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 neo-nazi skinheads right right exactly yeah so very disturbing um moment in our our recent history and uh, look the the other thing and i i don't you know we 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 can talk about this, and we should talk about it it's such an important uh subject, but there are world leaders now, and we this is why we don't need anti semitism here there are world leaders uh and, and many in in these arab countries, and again i 'm not painting everybody with the same brush, but there are there are those leaders uh i mean Saddam Hussein. Back in uh, in nineteen ninety was one of them who would wipe mm-hmm. Israel off the face of the earth. They would do yep. another Holocaust if they could, and uh, and they would do a genocide uh, against the Jewish people. The Israelis uh, in in one second would, if they could get away with it, they would uh, they would do it. Uh, I'm not saying all, but there are leaders. Maybe you know. Oh uh, no question. I mean this, uh, Syria. Uh, Syria one hundred percent. No doubt about no. it. Yep.
1: So, uh, so uh, yes, so the uh, so Israel's in danger. That's the reason why it is a militarized state. Uh, but But it's being aggressive is uh, really, really against its interest. And uh, Netanyahu has caused so much anti Semitism to rise uh, by his behavior towards Palestinians. And of course, the Palestinians uh, are furious because uh, the Jews, um, the pre war Jews, had no idea that there were people already there in, in Palestine who owned the land, and when when the Jewish refugees came rushing in and took over the land, they were taking it away from people who had uh, thousands thousands of years, probably, of property ownership there. Uh, And uh, this was not taken into account, and that uh, has caused this intractable uh, battle between the Palestinians and the Jews uh, in very brief form. Uh, but it's, it cannot be solved until the Palestinians are actually restored to their their property and their rights. Um, and that the Jews don't know this and don't do anything about it, uh, the government, uh, is a, a mystery to me. And that Netanyahu is even making things worse uh, is also a mystery to me, because he is acting exactly against his own interests, yeah. and the interests of his people, I should say.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great people too. I was there for the first time in January, and I've never felt anywhere more at home in in the world uh, <laughs> in, than Israel, uh, other than America. And yeah. uh, it's just they're our best friends. The Israelis, the Israeli people, are our best friends. If if Great Britain isn't, uh, then America's best friend is uh, is Israel, and and they're on par with uh, the the folks from the UK. They're as close to being like us. Um, yeah. than, than yeah, anybody really. else they really are and uh, and I yeah. applaud them anyway it's look it's uh, it, it's it's a great subject uh, great job doc just wonderful and uh, uh, and we thank everyone for listening each and every week and Benjaminlis to to some I, I think she's doing such important work here along with her her 16 books her memoir um, is uh, in, in uh, process right now, and it'll be her 17th book. She's the subject of a documentary. Uh, Florence Weinberg uh, has has been our host each and every week for a couple years now, so binge listen. There's a lot of material. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on The Florence Weinberg Show.